Well, it is great to be with Connect Church this weekend. And uh, as Blaine had said, I uh, was scheduled to be here last month, um, but God had other plans. And so we're here this weekend and flew in on Friday, had the opportunity to connect with the, the, the staff, the leadership team, and then training yesterday morning. Um, and uh, it is so good to see what God is doing at Connect Church, even in the midst of the craziness of 2020. Can I get an amen? Um, I think on the screen, you see a picture of my lovely family. Yes? I can't see the screen. It's above me. But uh, my wife, Jennifer... We've been married for 28 years. As you can see, we have six daughters. Yes, one, two, three, four, six. I'm not bragging. That's a prayer request, please. <laughs> uh, we're, we are so blessed. Our oldest, 24, youngest, 16. As you can see from the picture, we have adopted. We have a daughter from Kenya that we adopted back in 2005, 2006. Actually lived there in Kenya during that time for the adoption process. Did a lot of ministry during those six months that we were living there. And uh, then uh, we have two daughters that we've adopted from Haiti. And uh, I've been uh, partnering and helping a, a pastor friend there in Haiti for a long time, and we, we started a, a ministry together, and uh, all kinds of things going on with, with churches, schools, uh, medical center, and orphanage that we built after the earthquake in 2010. And uh, so we have uh, adopted two daughters from there as well. And my wife, half jokingly, only half jokingly, tells me, Doug, you can't go to any more countries. Right? It's like everywhere I go, I want to bring a, a, you know, another child home with me. But seriously, I've had the privilege of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and training leaders in about 50 countries across the globe. And what I shared with Many of you, many of the, the, the leaders in the church here yesterday during the training that we did, um, it's something that I have seen have an impact across the nations. Uh, because the simplicity of it is that it, 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 it's not some new philosophy for discipleship. What it is, is the life of Jesus. What did Jesus do? How did Jesus start the movement 2,000 years ago that has literally changed the world? And so uh, looking at the life of Jesus and what he built and what he modeled for us and what he's invited us into, the, the stream of this movement of disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples— you and I have the privilege, the honor of being used by God to continue the work that Jesus started 2,000 years ago. 
You know, yesterday I uh, had made this statement that there is no disciple-making without evangelism. Actually, uh, the, the, the book that, that Blaine had read is called Four Chair Discipling, and uh, the training that we did yesterday, I, I set up four chairs here on the stage and kind of walked through this process, lifted straight from the life of Christ in his three and a half years of ministry, where he moved people from being spiritually lost to becoming believers, placing their faith in him as their Messiah, uh, to then being workers in the harvest and ultimately to the place where they would be disciple makers, where they would be a part of the movement, making disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples. And the reality is any discipleship that doesn't begin with evangelism, right? That chair one, the person who is spiritually lost, you're reaching them, doesn't begin with evangelism and end with evangelism. You're helping that person grow to the place where they can then reproduce and reach others who don't know Jesus. That's how the movement continues to grow. Any discipleship that doesn't begin with evangelism and end with evangelism isn't biblical discipleship. You see, uh, we, the church in North America, we've taken this concept of discipleship and we've reduced it to this, that the church will do discipleship when it helps people who are already Christians to become better Christians. And that's the extent of what we think discipleship is. Helping people who are already Christians become better Christians. But there's no movement. There's no multiplication. Think about the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, uh, Jesus has resurrected. Um, In a little while, he's going to ascend back to his Father in heaven. And he says to his disciples, here's, Here's what we're doing right now. Therefore, go and make disciples. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And yes, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Uh, That verse that we call the Great Commission. Uh, But I think we could read it more clearly if we uh, read it like this, therefore go and make new disciple makers. That's really what Jesus was saying to them. Go and make new disciple makers. New because as he is sending them out, he's sending them to places where there aren't disciples. So it begins with the process of taking people who don't know Jesus and helping them to the place where they will put their faith in him as their savior. So they are new disciple makers, right? It's not because we think disciple, oh, that's just a believer. No, the idea of being a disciple is that you are going to be like the one who discipled you. And if you're going to be like them, that means you have to disciple someone else. So go and make new disciple makers. 
It's something that I have seen across the globe. Let me just give you a picture of how I am seeing new disciple makers happening with a ministry that I mentioned that, that, that helped to start in Haiti. And we've got a, a, a disciple-making training school that we started there back in 2008. So over the, the every, every year we've got, uh, you know, 10, 12, 15 young leaders, 20 to 30 years old, who we invite into that training program, and it's a year-long residential training program. So we're pouring into, we're, we're discipling them to make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. And out of that group, when we started in 2008, the ministry had two churches. But we have, every year with that group, been launching some of those leaders out to plant new churches. And now, 12 years later, every year, one church, two churches, three churches being planted from out of that group that we are pouring into. In fact, um, one, of the, one of the churches, most of them are in you know, desperately rural, I mean, Haiti, poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, desperately rural areas. But one of them is on top of a mountain, a village of a thousand people, no church up there, no school, two hours to get up or down the mountain. It's like lava rock that you're having traverse. You, you, you can't get up there by horse, by motorcycle, by truck. You can only hike it by foot. And so because of that, we had a church at the bottom of the mountain and people on top of the mountain began to find out about it. And some of them began to come down and they found Christ. And, and then the church on the bottom of the mountain said, well, we need to plant a church on the top of the mountain. That church in a village of a thousand people, now eight years later, 400 of the 1,000 people in that village have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. I mean, that village is changed. There is unprecedented harvest. And you know, as hard as 2020 has been, I want us to think about 2020 from this standpoint. Are we seeing an unprecedented opportunity here in 2020, moving into 2021, for unprecedented spiritual harvest? I believe we are. My fear is that many of us who, who claim to follow Christ, we are so beyond it. We're like, I can't wait for 2020 to be done. I just want to get this thing over with. Let's get past this COVID craziness and the, the, the racial strife and all of, you know, the, the election nuttiness. Uh, let's, I can't wait for all of this to be done. Can I, can I just leapfrog past this? And I think many of us would say, yeah, that's me. You know, you know, launch me past this because this is like worst year ever. I want you to think about it. 
Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, 38. Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out more workers into his harvest field. Jesus looked and he saw that the harvest was great. Now, what was it when Jesus looked? What was he seeing that made the harvest so great? Matthew 9, 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. These people are uh, just feeling buried under the, uh, under the, the, the weight of strife and turmoil and just chaos and all of these things going on in them and around them. What it was actually doing was ripening the harvest. And when you think of all of the challenge, all of the pain, all of the confusion, all of the struggle that people around us are facing in 2020, it is serving God's purpose to ripen the harvest. If we would open our eyes, I honestly believe that we would see that there is before us a harvest waiting like we have never seen in our lifetimes. So what are we going to do with that harvest? Before Jesus ascended back to the Father, his last words before he went back to heaven, he said to the apostles, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of of the earth. Now, I want to tell you, I have been to some places that feel like the ends of the earth. I know in, in, in talking with Pastor Blaine, he shared with me some of his missionary adventures and going to places that probably felt like the ends of the earth. I've been in villages in Africa, in Kenya, where you drive a truck down a paved road as far as you can, and then you have to get on a dirt road and you take that as far as you can and then there's no road and you have to get out and you have to hike deep into the bush where all of the homes are made out of mud and sticks and cow manure and and I got there to, to preach the gospel and the pastor at the little church there in that village in the bush he told me that I was the first mzungu to ever be in that village the first white man to ever be in that village. And that felt like the ends of the earth. But the gospel is there. I've been to a village in the Philippines with a tribal group, you know, the Tugbanwa tribe, only 20,000 people in the world speak their language. 20,000. But the gospel is there. It's gone to the ends of the earth. 
Now, when we read Acts 1-8 and we see that word witness, I think that what we typically think of is this idea, if you've been in church for a while, this idea of witnessing, well, that's evangelism or sharing your faith or preaching the gospel. And we tend to think of witnessing as you have this core set of truths that you are going to articulate, that you are going to communicate the message of the gospel. Is that really what Jesus is saying here, though, when he tells them they will be his witnesses? Jump to the end of Acts chapter 1. And... uh, Jesus has already ascended, and the 11 apostles, right? Judas has hung himself. He was the 12th. And, and so they say, all right, we, we, need to, we need to find a 12th. And so what is their qualification for that 12th apostle? Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us The whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. I mean, side note, did did you ever realize or think about the fact that all of them were all present when Jesus was baptized? Now, they, they, weren't, they weren't followers of his yet, they weren't disciples yet, but they were all present. And at some point along the journey, you know, they became followers. But from that point, from the beginning of his ministry, the apostles had been there the entire time. They'd seen it all. And what they're saying is this person has to be a witness of the things that we've seen, the things that we've heard, the things that we have experienced with the life of Jesus. Must be a witness with us to his resurrection. Right after this, it's Pentecost, one of the Uh, one of the three Jewish feasts of the year that Jews are required to be there in Jerusalem for, and and most likely on the southern steps leading up into the temple. Um, The reason why we think it's those southern steps is because there are these ritual baths at the bottom of those steps, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of them. And so if you're going to baptize people then on that day of Pentecost, the the, the, the ritual baths, these mikvahs, they're all there already ready for you to baptize new believers in Jesus. But I don't know if you'd ever noticed this in reading Acts. My picture had always been that Peter stands up in front of this large crowd and Peter preaches The gospel message there at Pentecost. Well, well, that is what happened, but that's not the only thing that happened. What does it say? Then Peter stood up with the eleven. 
Right, so all 12 of the apostles, now they're all standing there in front of everyone. Yes, Peter is the spokesman, but they're all standing up and being accounted for and by standing saying, yes, what Peter's saying is true. I'm attesting to it. I too am a witness of the things that Peter is saying. Peter stood up with the 11. He addressed, raised his voice. We see a little bit of his message, Acts 2, 22 and 32, where he says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. And God raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses of it. We've seen it. We've witnessed the resurrected Christ, and we're here to testify to what we have seen and heard. You move on to the next chapter in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 3. And uh, Peter and John, they're, they're going to walk into the temple. They're going to walk through what's called the beautiful gate. They're going in to, to worship, maybe to share the gospel as they're going in. And as they're going in, there's a crippled man at the gate who's begging, hoping to, to catch a few coins that people would throw his way. And what is Peter's response as they approach this man? Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, notice what Peter says. He doesn't say, but what I do know. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, what I do believe. No, he doesn't say that. He says, what I do have. This is something that I possess. This is a reality in my life. What I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Christ of Nazareth, walk. You see, the gospel message for you and I, it's not just something for us to know. It's not just something for us to believe. It's something that changes us. It's something that we possess, that we have. Now, this Crippled man stands up, he's healed. He goes skipping and dancing and jumping and shouting into the temple courts, creating this mass hysteria and the crowds gathering around wanting to know what's going on. Hey, isn't, isn't this the, 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 the crippled guy? Look, well, what happened? And Peter stands up and he preaches to this crowd. And in the midst of him preaching to them, he says this, you killed the author of life. Now, why does he say this? Well, many in this crowd who he's speaking to, they were among the crowd who would have been shouting back at Passover when Pilate said, what should I do with this man? And they cried out, crucify him. And to this very crowd, Peter now says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Oh, we've seen it. We own it. Peter and John, there's such a commotion. Uh, the, the religious leaders 
see this commotion happening in the temple, they, they uh, grab Peter and John and they take them in for questioning, hold them in a, a jail for a while. And as they question Peter and John, here is Peter and John's reply to them. Which is right in God's eyes, right? Because they're trying to silence them. You gotta, you gotta stop with this nonsense about Jesus being raised from the dead. Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. You see, when your life has been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you are a life that's been transformed, like Peter and John say, you're like, hey, I can't help but speak about what God has done in my life, what I have seen and heard. As they are released and told not to speak this name, they ignore, they ignore that. They go back to the believers and Acts 4.33, it says, with great power. Is that the verse that's on the screen? Good. I just want to make sure I'm in the right place. Uh, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. So they continued to testify. So here we see, as Jesus is sending them out to make disciples, to be his witnesses, this idea of witness, of testify, what you see and hear, it is an undisputable evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit that the believer will share the gospel boldly. Undisputable evidence. You want to know if you are living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, two things to consider. Number one, is your life a reflection of what the Apostle Paul says are the fruits of the Spirit? Galatians 5, 22 and 23, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You know, uh, he, he gives this, this list and basically describing the character of Christ. Is your life a reflection of the character of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit? That's an indication that you're living in the fullness of the Spirit. And then the second indication that you're living in the fullness of of the Spirit is that you will be a witness. What did Jesus say? The Spirit will come on you, you'll receive power, and you will be my witnesses. If we are living in the fullness of the Spirit, we're going to share the gospel boldly. See this at the end of Acts chapter 4 where it says, Now, Lord, this is the believers, the apostles, they're praying, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal, perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Enable us, Spirit of God, to speak the word with boldness. 
What does it say? After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will speak the word of God boldly. They proclaimed the gospel. Peter and John, salvation is found as no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. They boldly proclaimed the message of the gospel. And this is, this is a, an amazing response. The, uh, the religious leaders who had grabbed them and, and brought them in for questioning, had them jailed for a while, and, and interrogating them. One of these fun verses, Acts 4.13, it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Uh, let's understand. I mean, when they're saying unschooled, ordinary men, that word unschooled in the Greek, it's a grammata. Grammata, like where we get grammar. Ah, grammata. Without grammar, like they don't speak good. Okay. They didn't speak like educated men. They were uneducated. And then the, the Greek word for ordinary is idiota. What does that sound like? They're basically calling Peter and John, looking at these guys, and they're like, you're just a, a bunch of uneducated idiots. How could, how could this be happening with these uneducated idiots? Except for the fact that they have been with, and the idea that they have been with Jesus, it was the power of their testimony, the power of what they were witnessing too, because their lives were changed. It was inarguable that they had seen this, they had heard this, they had experienced this. This had changed their life. As you sit here this morning or as you're watching online, I think we all have to ask ourselves the question. Has the gospel changed my life? You know, I, do, do I think that I'm, I'm a Christian just because I go to church? I'm a good person? Or have I truly placed my faith, my trust, the full weight of my trust in Jesus Christ and him alone and what he did on the cross to pay for my sins?
And in placing my faith in him, now my life has been changed by Jesus Christ. The power of the gospel changes lives. You see, changed lives change lives. Changed lives change lives. Uh, there in the first century, I mean, it was an unprecedented opportunity for spiritual harvest. It began with the 11, Acts chapter 1. And it grew from the 11 to 120 believers, it says. In Acts 1.15, in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120 and then Peter preached at Pentecost. And what does it say in Acts 2.41? Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So from 11 to 120 to 3,000 new converts. And then Acts 2.47, when it speaks about the new church, what does it say? That more are being added, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. You see the momentum of this movement building because there's a harvest. The harvest is great, and disciples are being made and multiplied. And it goes from the 3,000 as they, they continue to share this message. In Acts chapter 4, it says, Many who heard the message believed, so that the number of men, so this isn't including women and children, the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. It just keeps growing. In Acts chapter 5, it says, Nevertheless, more and more. Men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number more and more and more. One of my good friends, a pastor who's up in Cincinnati, um, uh, he had gone with me just on my most recent trip to Haiti. And uh, October 1st, he, he and I were talking. He was saying, Doug, I am seeing an unprecedented harvest here in 2020. His, his church, you know, uh, maybe about the same size as yours. I, I don't know the exact size of Connect Church. His probably about 600 people pre-COVID. But he said, so far in the first nine months of 2020, they had seen 76 people put their faith in Jesus Christ. An unprecedented harvest, more and more and more. And then in Acts chapter 5, it goes beyond that. When, when they're, the, the religious leaders are looking at Peter and John, what do they say? We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem. All of Jerusalem had heard the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You continue forward and on into the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And in Acts chapter 19, it says, this went on for two years. So he was, he, he was training and equipping believers 
uh, in Ephesus. And as he was doing that and sharing the message and it was spreading out from there, it says, this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. I mean, it is going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth because then Colossians chapter 1 verse 6 what does Paul write there? He says, in the same way, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. An unprecedented harvest. And I believe we are in a season where we can see an unprecedented harvest. You know, before Jesus sent out the 12 two by two, uh, for them to go out and minister and preach the gospel and heal the sick. Before he sent them out, that's when he said the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Then six months later, they had multiplied so that now he's sending out 72 others. That 72 doesn't include the 12, and he's sending them out two by two. And before he sends them out, he tells them also, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. It's gone from 12 to 72. The harvest six times greater. Could be, there be the potential that the harvest that we have been seeing here in 2020 as we move into 2021 and we live to the full potential of the church of Jesus Christ and who he has called us to be, you to be, Connect Church, each of you, each of you, not, not the, the church, but each of you helping people to find and follow Jesus. Each of you, each one, reaching one, could it be that moving into 2021, Connect Church would see a six-fold harvest in 2021? And if you looked at the number of people through, through this ministry that have found Christ in 2020, that in 2021, it's going to be a six-fold harvest because your eyes are open. And the fields are ripe for harvest. And each one is saying, here I am. Use me. The power of the gospel changes lives. You know, with our disciple-making training center in Haiti, one of the things that we do there the very first week of that, that year-long program as I am training the young leaders in the process of being a disciple who makes disciples. I, I train them very simply how to share the message of the gospel, share their faith, and then I send them out two by two, just like Jesus did, for them to, to, to share the message. And two years ago, a couple of the young men that I, that I had sent out, they came back with this story. As they came back and were talking, they took this ring out of their pocket and held it up. They're speaking in Creole, so I didn't really understand everything they were saying. But after they were finished, a pastor interpreted for me and told me that these two young men, as they went out, they encountered a young man who was apprenticing to be a witch doctor. 
And as they shared the power of the message of the gospel with him, the Holy Spirit came over him and convicted him. And right there on the spot, he confessed his sin. He put his faith and his trust in Jesus Christ. And when he did, he slipped this ring off his finger and he put it in their hand. And he said, I wore this ring to say that I belonged to Satan. But I don't need this ring anymore because I no longer belong to Satan. I belong to Jesus. The power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to change lives. You see, for you and I, when we have been changed by Jesus Christ. We don't just have a set of facts, a set of memorized Bible verses to share with someone. We have our very life to share with them. Jesus changed me, and he is continuing to change me to, to, to be more and more like his son. And as he is changing me, I have something good to share with you. Changed people change people. That's the power of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is something that each of us can be a witness to. A witness to how it's changed our life. Yes, it's a set of truths. Yes, it's Bible verses. Yes, it's a message, but it is more. It is a life that's been changed. I want you to think this morning about those people in your life, people you care about, who don't yet know Jesus. They're lost. And when you open your eyes like Jesus saw the harvest and saw that they were harassed and helpless, you see this person, they're struggling, they're confused, they're hurting, they've got stuff going on. And you want them to know Jesus just like you do. He's calling you to reach them, to be his witness. The power of the gospel in and through you can change their life. Now, each of you, as you came in this morning, you were given that, that three-by-five card and a pen. And here's what I want you to do with that. As I talk about that one person, and there, there's probably more than one, but someone that God is putting on your heart right now, I want you to write their name on that card. And just be their first name. It doesn't have to be first and last. Just so you, you know you're writing their first name. And now what I want to invite you to do, you've got that name written on your card. I want to invite you to stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. You can stand to your feet. There you go. 
And just, <clears throat> I want you to, this could be a little tricky, but I want you to step behind the chair that you've been sitting on and place that card on the chair. I want you to put your hands on the back of the chair and envision God reaching that person through you and bringing them into this church, that they would sit in that chair. And I want to invite you, putting your hands on the back of that chair and envisioning that friend, I want you to pray for them. Pray that God's spirit would work in their heart and turn their heart toward him. And I want you to pray that God would use you to be his witness to put them in that chair. I don't want this, uh, before you go, we're not, we're not done just yet, but before we go, I want us to just to think about something and we're going we're gonna to pray. Now, I, I recognize that some of you received a card and you didn't put anybody's name on it, but you got behind your chair and, and I acknowledge that it's kind of hard to be put on the spot maybe like that and to think that way, but I don't want us to lose this moment. I don't want us to lose this prayer. I want us to start thinking. If, if you're doing the 40-day journey with us, even currently, one of the homeworks this week was to sit in a public place and watch people walk and consider their final destination of where they'll spend eternity. Listen, that's a hard thing to do. But as we start developing muscle memory of thinking of of seeing people that way and thinking through the brokenness and the heartache and the loneliness and the abandonment and the guilt and the shame. And I think it's, as Doug was preaching, I think of when in, in Acts 17, when the, 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 the leaders of Thessalonica, you know, they assault Jason's house and uh, they even say, boy, now the message has even gotten here. Uh, and, and this message has turned the world upside down. These people have turned the world upside down with the gospel. And I think of these thousands, these from 3,000 to 5,000 to more and more and more, and it fills all of Jerusalem. This is the same people that Jesus was, this is the same city Jesus was teaching in. This is the same community Jesus was teaching in, but his ministry was to empower the 12 because it was their testimony. It was their witness that he was choosing to use. When, when Jesus ministers to the woman at the well and she trusts him, Jesus didn't go into her village to teach them. He sent her to do that. And she, it was her testimony. It was her story when she said, come and see the one. And so, so often I think we diminish or remove. I don't know how to words. I'm not a theologian. I don't, you know, I'll mess it all up. It's just your life. So this morning, I just want to encourage you. This, you're not plan B. The disciples... 
are not plan B because Jesus was killed. We were always, we were always his plan A to reach our family, to reach our neighbors, to reach the lost. So I want to encourage you and I want to empower you. Continue to pray over these people. Continue to pray over them. And I would even say, when you take this card, don't leave this card. You, you should start writing other names on this card and just start praying that God would use you and that his spirit would give you the perfect timing to be able to just start being his witnesses. Let's pray together. Lord, we just ask that you would. We, we, we can't pray for the harvest because you've already done that work. We pray for laborers. And Lord, I pray that many of us even today would say we will be some of those laborers. We have stood on the sidelines for far too long. And I pray that we would make a commitment that we ought to obey God rather than men. You have put your testimony all over us and now in us. And may we be obedient to that. Use us, Lord, not just may we recognize the blessing and the benefit of being a Christian, but may we allow what you are doing to pass through us to multitudes. Use us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just before we're dismissed, don't forget the announcements. Uh, elementary parents, if you would join us in the sanctuary just uh, as quickly as you can, and we'll, we'll get you out of here as quick as we can. I pray that before you leave, say hello to one another and smile at each other and uh, remind each other of his love through you. You're dismissed. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.